Thank you, Josiah. As you settle in, I want you to turn to Psalm 100. We're not going to be there for a little bit, but you can go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles or your devices. Uh, Last week, I I gave you, if you please, the big picture in the drawing of the Disciples' Cross. Uh, What I want to do now is go back, do a quick review, and pick up at the, the third discipline, which we want to work on mastering in our lives uh, as we seek to be proficient in the the disciplines God calls us to, to be a Christ follower. So we understood that our discipleship is summed up in one verse in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, and Jesus said to him, them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so we ask, okay, what does that look like? What does it mean, first of all, to deny ourselves? Well, that's actually being saved, and that's Christ coming into our heart and us being grafted into him. And our key verse that we looked at there was from John 15 and verse 5. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who, believe, who, he, he who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do anything. So he introduced a key word. And a word that just permeates what it means to be a disciple. And that's the word abide. Remember that means to draw our strength, to draw our life, to draw our purpose, to draw our our very life's essence from him. So we looked at some detail of what it meant to abide in Christ. Now out of that abiding, everything else flows as consistent circles. So in that picture you drew last week, that little circle in the middle, that's where you kind of drop the pebble and everything grows consistently. But... For us, it's easier to take it apart in the different disciplines and look at them individually. But you don't grow in one and then another and then another. God's growing us in all of these at the same time. And we can see that when we become aware of what they are. So out of the binding in Christ, we want to grow in our knowledge of Christ and who he is and who we are in him. And so we do that by living in the Word, and that was the the downward part that anchors us into the ground and anchors us into the rich soil of the Word of God. Because as we dig into the Word, the Word is God revealing Himself to us. And so we looked at what it says in in John chapter 8, 31 and 32, and then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in them, if you abide in my Word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth and the truth's going to set you free. And so we looked at what it means to be abiding in the Word. And, and living in the Word day by day, draw, same word abide, drawing our strength, drawing our purpose, drawing our very life out of the Word of God. Now I want to take you to the third of those disciplines, and it's the one that goes up. And this is praying in truth. Praying in truth. It's also, I might have said praying in faith. I, I use both kind of simultaneously. But Praying in truth is probably closer to what I want to, want to, to share with you. And this is John 15, 7. John 15, 7. Now listen to it. Write it down, John 15, 7. Listen to it very carefully. Jesus said, if you abide in me, there's the circle. And my words abide in you, there's the lower part. Then you ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. You see how this flows? It just flows one from the other. If you abide in me, if you're drawing your your purpose, your life strength, and and who you are, your identity, out of that relationship of us in Christ and Christ in us, then you're going to abide in my word. And as you're abiding in him and abiding in his word, then prayer becomes something that you're praying, not just in his name, but according to his will. 
and according to his purpose and according to his word. And so we're looking now at what it means to pray in truth. Pray in truth. But I want you to see that clear progression. It's so important to see that. Answered prayer depends on following this progression. It's got to start with abiding in Christ. It's got to be all about Him. We're denying ourselves, and He is the central focus of who we are. He is our Lord. He is our Master. Okay? And then when that is settled and we're yielded to Him, then we learn more about Him living in the Word. And so what are we doing? We're not just learning it for head knowledge. Remember what we were doing? We were reading it. We were meditating on it. We were memorizing it. But most importantly, we were applying it. We were walking in the truth that we learned. So now, we're, we're walking in that truth. Now we're going to pray in that truth. We're learning to pray in that truth. So our focus has to move from the inside out, starting with the abiding and then going to living in the Word. And as Christ followers, you and I will never move beyond the size of that little circle. If you just make your relationship with God the size of a dime, that's, that's going to determine the size of the cross you carry and the ministry you perform. But the whole idea is to make that circle be growing as we grow in that love relationship, and that makes our cross larger, and it makes our ministry further reaching as well. So that's what I want you to just be reminded of. This is the review part. Out of our abiding in the Word and abiding in Him, then we get to pray in truth. Now, the simple reality is for a love relationship to grow, any love relationship to grow, here's what it requires. Time, communication, fellowship, sharing. Your, your relationship with your spouse, even if your spouse is no longer with you, your relation with your spouse grew or does grow very closely to amount of what you share together. How much of life you share together. The, the, the sharing of, uh, of the hurts and, and the, the hurt feelings, the sharing of the hopes and dreams, the sharing of the successes and failures. This communication is the barometer of how your love is going to grow. Well, what's true in this earthly life, in our earthly marriages and relationships, and it's true with friendships as well, that's the same way it works with the Lord. If you want your relationship with Him to grow, it's going to follow the barometer, the degree in which you communicate and share the essence of life with one another. So that's what prayer is. Prayer is not a, a lot of these and thous. Uh, prayer is, is not all about Scripture, though it's very much about Scripture. But prayer is about exposing your heart to the heart of God. Now, this was something that just really interested the disciples. You remember when the disciples had been witnessing Jesus? He'd get up early in the morning and go to pray, or he'd, he'd pray late into the night, or he'd pray all night. And out of that intimate relationship he had with the Father, there was something there the disciples saw, something they wanted to know about. So what did they say? Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray so we can have this kind of intimacy, we can have this kind of communication, we can have this growing love relationship with the Father like you did. And we'll look later at the model prayer that he gave them. But I don't want you to get hung up on the, the, the Lord's prayer or the model prayer. 
I don't want you to get hung up on any one of these. I want you to see that if you would hold a, a diamond that big up, in, up here to the light and turn it around like this, you're going to see all of the multifaceted aspects of that diamond. Prayer, our love communication with God, is like that multifaceted diamond. And you just can't focus on one reflection out of that. You've got to keep turning it to see all of that looks like. So what I want to do tonight is I want to show you one facet. One facet of the diamond of prayer that will help you to understand how to pray. How do we make this happen? How does this happen in our lives? It's not the only way. Uh, I want you to learn other models in the process. But it's a good way and it's a good place to start. So what I, I want us to do is realize the Old Testament teaches us so much. I just cannot fathom my, well, not my contemporaries, but pastors in my day who just will not preach from the Old Testament. They just want to disavow the Old Testament and just preach from the New. The New Testament is the fulfillment of the Old. You've got to know the Old to see how it's fulfilled in the New. But the Old Testament shows us so many wonderful patterns and so many wonderful models about how to be a Christ follower. And one of those has to do with the temple Herod's temple specifically that we find in the scriptures. Let me see about yeah. So what I want you to do is I want us to use the way that folks approach the Lord in his temple as a guide to how to pray, to learn how to pray. Now, going to the temple was not something that they did every day or they did every week. It was big events that would draw people from, from hundreds of miles around whether it was Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, or whatever it was, people were drawn to the temple. But they just didn't go to the temple and, and barge in the front doors and says, here I am. No, this was a journey of faith. So whether you were starting from way up in Galilee, like Jesus did, and had to make your way all the way down, or whether you were in nearby Bethany and came to the temple to pray, it was a spiritual journey. And the spiritual journey would, be, it would involve the singing of the Hallel. Hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L, -L -E Hallel. What is the Hallel, Brother Fred? The Hallel is the Hallel Psalms in the end of, your, of the, the book of Psalms. And they were called the Psalms, of, you maybe have read in your Bible, the Psalms of Degrees or the Psalms of Steps. And what that means is these are the songs of faith that you sung as you went up to the temple preparing your heart to enter into the presence of God. So the very journey itself was a part of the worship and preparing your heart to enter into his presence. So before you ever got to the temple, before you ever got to Jerusalem, you were singing the Hallelujah songs, preparing your heart, and getting your way into his presence for worship. That's not a bad thought even for today. You know, when you, sometimes we're in such a mad rush to get here, whether it's in the middle of the week or, or on Sundays, and, and we, we forget to prepare our hearts along the way. So we can learn from our, from our Jewish forefathers that they would not go into the Lord's presence without their heart being prepared. And they would prepare their hearts by singing the Hallel songs. But once they arrived in Jerusalem and once they moved into uh, the city itself, 
What dominated the architecture of the entire city was this incredible edifice. All right? Now, what this actually is, is from the Israeli National Museum in Jerusalem. It's part of what's called the Model Old City. And with painstaking detail, and it doesn't all show in this, the entirety of the old wall city has been built to a one-eighth scale. And it's massive. The temple right there is about this tall, okay? Just to give you an idea of, of how big it is. But I wanted to just focus in on the temple because I want you to see some of the parts that they would enter as they were going in to come into the very presence of God. So you see the open courtyard uh, around beyond those kind of like towers, you know. This was called the, the court of the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. Then is, you see the golden little gate right there at the bottom? Uh, this was, is gate beautiful. And when you come inside of there, you entered the court of the women, the court of the women. I'm going to talk all about that in a few minutes. Don't worry about putting it all down right now. You see those kind of semicircular steps? And there's another door. There, the, the Nicanor steps. And only the men of Israel were allowed to walk up those and then go through those ornate doors. And then they entered the court of Israel, which was literally the court of the men. It was not a very large court whatsoever. But just beyond that, you'll see there is a little courtyard around the big rectangular building right there. This is the court of the priests. This is where the sacrifices happened. This is where the bronze laver was. And this is, this is where the animals would be killed and their blood would be gathered together. All right? Now, the edifice itself that you see topped in gold, and it was literally topped in gold, that is called the holy place. And the only people that went in there were the priests, but not just any of the priests. You literally had to win a lottery of sorts, and over your lifetime, you might, maybe one time, maybe two or three times, you would be called on to go into the holy place and minister before the Lord. Inside there was the table of incense, the table of showbread, and the candelabras. If you remember Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he was ministering in the temple when he, the angel appeared to him and such. He was in the holy place, which is just the area inside of there. I'm going to show you another diagram in a moment. But on the far end of that room was a huge tapestry, a huge curtain. It reached from the ceiling all the way to the floor and all the way to both walls. It was three to four inches thick, all right? And this was called the veil of the temple. Behind the veil of the temple was the Holy of Holies. And this was where the presence of God was said to dwell. What was behind that curtain? The Ark of the Covenant was behind the curtain. And the top of the Ark of the Covenant, between the golden cherubim angels with their wings touching, the top of that was called the mercy seat. And one time a year, the high priest was allowed to go behind the curtain with a bowl of blood from the sacrificed animal for the people of God, and he would pour the blood on the mercy seat and would make prayers on the Day of Atonement that the sins would be atoned for of all of the people. 
he would wear little bells around the bottom fringe of his garment and a rope tied to his ankle because if his heart was impure God would strike him dead and they would know because the bells were no longer tinkling but no one could go behind the veil so they would drag him out by the rope entering into the presence of God is no small thing all of our ancient Jewish forefathers understood a great great gravity of coming into the presence of God in prayer and worship. And we see it with the very construction of the temple. Now I want to show you another diagram that you can see this maybe a little better on the diagram than you could from the actual picture. Again, you see the outer walls. It goes all the way around. Uh, you, you see on these four, there's some that look like that little tubes, toilet paper tubes down in there. They're actually colon columns. And this was the colonnades. And this is where Jesus taught when he was inside the temple. Was in, he would sit under the colonnades. Solomon's court was what that was referred to, the colonnades. But there's the court of the Gentiles. You see how it goes all the way around. Now, anyone who wanted to worship God and enter into prayer and worship was allowed there. Any, anybody. Any, you know, we're Gentiles. We're non-Jews. Okay? And we were allowed to go that close to the presence of God. But between... The court of the Gentiles, you see that little, little door that goes into the front? It's called the beautiful gate, if you'll see that. That goes into the court of the women. There was a sign there. And the sign said, if you're not a Jew, stop. You will forfeit your life if you step inside this court. Remember, Paul got in some real trouble because he was accused of taking a Gentile inside of there. And what he had to do was literally prove that the Gentile he took with him was actually circumcised and become a Jew because they were ready to kill Paul and Timothy for that. So, all Jews could go into the court of the women and then the men could go a little further into the court of Israel. You really can't see that it's behind that little wall, but then you can see the sanctuary, they call it, which has the two parts to it. One other illustration to let you see that is this. And this is from above. It's kind of easier to see this than any other part. And you see the Gentile court, the court of the women, court of Israel, uh, and then the court of the priests. You see the altar right there. And then the main temple where the holy place was and the most holy place. So I just want you to think about the architecture and think about if your prayer is to come before the presence of Almighty God, what are the steps that get it there? And there's five steps that takes you into the very presence of God. Five ways you do business with God that you move into His presence. And that's what we want to talk about right now. And this is the lesson on prayer and how we pray. We follow the steps of the ancient Jewish people who would bring their prayers to the presence of God. So the first thing I want us to think about is the court of the Gentiles. And in the court of the Gentiles... Anybody and everybody was allowed to come there. But when you entered the court of the Gentiles, you entered with praise. All right? Look at Psalm 100. You got it on your, on your lap there now? You knew I was going to get there eventually. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, 
Okay, that's, that's singing and praising and exalting and magnifying the name of God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, not just the Jews. These are the Gentiles as well at this point. All ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now stop right there. As you enter into the first portion of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, you're called to enter with praise. Let's talk about praise for a minute. I want your prayers tonight and tomorrow to start with praise. Okay, God, what's praise? <laughs> Brother Fred, help me. What is praise? Uh, and, and, you know, I would, if I ask you even now, some of you might have some struggle to understand what that is. Here's praise. Praise is simply this. Bragging on God for being God. Bragging on God for being God. Okay? Uh, one way that you enter into his presence with praise is praying his name and recognizing that you are, you are sovereign Yahweh, you are Jehovah Jireh, the one who, who provides for me, you're, you're, you're um, Jehovah Rapha, you're the God who heals me, uh, you are the bread and you are the life, and all the names of God. You, you praise him as you're praising his very presence, his omniscience, his omnipotence, uh, all of the character of God, that you are true, that you are holy, that you uh, are just, that you are a God of all grace, that you're a God of all mercy. There's all kinds of places to go with this. But I challenge you to start your time of prayer just focusing on God being God. Before you rush in with all of the things you want to talk to him about and all the things you need and your aches and pains or wants and desires or whatever, whoa, time out, time out, time out. Let's, I, that, those are important things. But let's follow the image of the ancients coming into his presence. Let's start bragging on God for who God is. Prayer is about God. My life is about God. Worship is about God. Not about me. And so let's focus on him for who he is. And that's what we want to start out with praise. And so when you enter into the court of the Gentiles, the outer court, you enter in with praise. Let's go on in Psalm 100. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. As you enter into the court of the women or the court of Israel, you enter with thanksgiving. Now this is bragging on God for what he's done. Now, most of us are a little better at that than we are on praise. Uh, thankfulness, we may not do it all the time. We may not do it well, but at least we know what it is, all right? And so this is a little easier for us to get our arms around. So as we move closer to the presence of God, as we move closer to that time that we're going to bear our soul to him, this next move that we make is the move of thanksgiving. So what I want you to do tonight, tomorrow, as you begin to pray... You start with praise, and then you graduate into thanksgiving. And that's still focusing on God, but you get in that a little bit because it's what he's done. And it's what he's done nationally, what he's done is he's blessed our nation, what he's done for our, with our church, what he has done in our families, what he's done in our individual lives. Spend some time in thanksgiving. And this is just preparing your heart and preparing you to move further into his presence. So... 
the court of the women and the court of Israel are really the same. You've got to be Jews to be in that, okay? But then as far as they could go was the wall that beyond this only priests could go. So what we want to look at next is the court of the priests. And you enter into the court of priests with confession. You see, no one could approach the Lord with sin in their lives. And the closer you get to his presence, the more aware you are of your own sinfulness, your own unworthiness. And so, as we enter into the court of the priest, what happens there? That's where they sacrifice the animals for sins. Now, in the sacrificial system, the blood just covered the sins, but the blood of Jesus Christ removes our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But listen, to come into his presence, we've got to deal with sin in our lives. Now remember, sin doesn't destroy the relationship you have with God, but it can seriously damage the fellowship you have with God. So to come into his presence, we want that fellowship to be unhindered. So as the priest stood and made sacrifices to cover the sins of the people, keep in mind, as you're a pilgrim, and you're coming there to bring your prayers to God, you would bring a sacrifice. It may be a lamb, it may be a bull, it may be a turtle dove, it may be whatever, but you you bring a worthy sacrifice to God based on your ability. And so before you would enter anything about your own desires or hopes or dreams or whatever, you had to have your sins covered. And so when we move into the, towards the presence of God, we want to deal with any known sin that's in our lives. And we do just like David did. Lord, show me. You know, uh, examine me. Put me on the witness stand. Put me under the microscope. I, I, I want you to see if there's any wicked way within me. And, and show me what this is. And so we want to deal honestly and absolutely with that. Now listen, you're not turned away. No one was turned away, but they had to have their sin atoned for. And so you're not turned away unless you just simply refuse to do this. <laughs> so if you come to God confessing your sins and repenting of them, I love 1 John 1.9. I shared it with a sweet sister earlier this week. The scripture says if we confess our sins... God is faithful, that means he can be depended on. God is faithful, and he is just to forgive us of our sins. How can he be just in forgiving sins? Well, it's because sin has to be punished. Let me tell you something. In point of fact, technically speaking, God has never forgiven a sin, and he never will. He cannot forgive sin. He forgives sinners. Because Christ has taken the sin upon himself. So think in terms, it's, it's people that are forgiven. Sins are not forgiven. People are forgiven. And their sins are placed under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so God make me aware of, aware of anything that I have not confessed before you. Anything that, that I'm, I'm hiding even from myself. Or even a per perpetual problem I'm having that I can't even find victory over right now. But I want to confess that before you. And then, then our heart is right to step beyond that. So beyond the court of the priest, remember, we have the court of the holy place. Now, the holy place, when you enter in there, 
There's the altar of incense, the altar of show, showbread, uh, the candelabra that had to be kept burning. And all of these were not just worship, but they were intercessory tools for the priest to use to pray for the nation of Israel. Now here's the role of the priest. Look at me for a minute. He would reach out to the people and reach out to God and bring the two together. All right? The role of the priest was to reach out to the people, reach out to God, and bring them together. Jesus Christ is our high priest. And what does the Bible say? He ever lives at the right hand of God the Father to make what? Intercession for us. What happens in the court of the, of the, um, the holy place is intercession. We enter this praying for others. We are into this praying for our loved ones, praying for our church, praying for our search team, praying for our, our nation, you know, praying for our new pastor, praying for anybody other than me. All right? This is the order of prayer. I have cleansed my heart. I have sung praises and, and thanksgiving to him. And now my heart is clean before God to come before him and intercede for others that are special to me. And this is, this is the role. Uh, and I want you, after you've confessed your sins, start your prayer list of praying for others. If you don't have anybody you can pray for, pick up one of our prayer lists on your way out. That'll give you about 30, 40, 50 to, have, uh, to start with right there. Well, I don't know their names. Don't worry about that. God does. I mean, you think... He's limited in whether or not you know who somebody is or what their problem is. Come on. <laughs> you know, he knows, he knows them better than you do. He knows you better than you know you. So, this is where you spend time praying for one another. And now you're right outside the very holy presence of God. Behind that three to four inch veil is the Ark of the Covenant where all of the, uh, our Jewish ancestors felt, this is where God abides. And he sits on the mercy seat. But what Christ made abundantly clear for us, he's sitting there waiting for us to come in. You see, the Holy of Holies is where we pray for ourselves. This is where we bring petition for our own selves. And let me tell you something that happens in my life. After I have spent, even if it's just a few moments, praising on God for who He is, thanking Him for what He's done, confessing my sins before Him, praying for those that He's put heavy on my heart, my list for me grows a lot shorter. And what I pray for are things that really matter. Because you see, I have been abiding in his presence. From the time I started with praise, I'm abiding in his presence. And moving to thanksgiving, I'm abiding in his presence. Come confessing my sins, boy am I ever abiding in his presence. Entering in and praying for you and for others. That's as intimate as God and I can get until we start looking at Fred. And my heart is at such a point then when he taps it and says, Fred, what about this? My heart's ready to deal with that because I've took all of these other steps.
Now, let me tell you, this is one teaching tool. This is not the only way to approach prayer. We're going to talk about others. But this is a good way to learn the essential five dynamics of prayer. Praise, thanksgiving, confession, intercession, and petition. And to see it visually in the temple helps us literally to go on this journey of walking in to the presence of God. And so let this be a pattern, at least for this week. Try this and see how this works in your life. And you can visualize yourself doing this. You can prepare with some good Christian music, singing some songs, Call Josiah, he'll be over there and he'll play some for you. No, he won't do that. But you, you can put it, you, I think he's on, he's on recording though. Anyway, you, you prepare, I love, music prepares our heart. It, it is worship, but it prepares our heart to enter into his presence and do business with him. And that's why we do our worship services the way we do. We enter into his presence with praise and thanksgiving and worship. And even some of those songs are confessing our sins or praying for our nation or whatever the case may be. We're doing all that because when we come to the message and God is speaking to us through his word, we're there doing business with him on that personal soul-to-soul level. And that's why it impacts us so strong. So I want you to work on this this week. This is your assignment. You're going to be working in terms of what it means to walk into the presence of God. Now, let me tell you, in the process of doing this, you're not by yourself. You've got two helpers. Now, this is not in your notes. I'm sorry I meant to put this in there, but uh, I, I forgot to. You've got two very special helpers on this process. So I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture and tell you who they are. The first helper you have is found in Hebrews five uh, 7.25. Just write down helper number one, Hebrews 7.25. Let me read that to you. Therefore, he, meaning Jesus Christ, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he's always living to make intercession for them. Listen to me very carefully. Before you ever enter into prayer... Jesus is praying for you. Before you ever enter into prayer, Jesus is praying for you. In the morning, you get up to do your devotional time. Before you're dressed, before you've got your Bible open, before you've got your coffee made, Jesus is praying for you and for the time you're going to have together. I I get ready to shout right here in a second now. This... You're not alone in this. You don't have, this is not something you have to master. This is an experience you get to have. All right? So Jesus is already praying for you. Uh, also write down Romans 8.34. Romans 8.34. Christ Jesus died, and more than that, he was raised to life, and now he is the right hand of God interceding for you. This is, you know, so, so he's already there. You don't have to enter into to prayer time and say... Gosh, I hope he's here. I hope he's going to show up. He's already there. And he's already been praying for you to get there. All right? This is a person we encounter. This is not a task that we do. All right? And, and this is just teaching how we're abiding in him and how we're growing in that love relationship and communicating, sharing with one another in the process. That's helper one or not, number one. Helper number two. Write down Romans 8.26. Helper number two. 
Likewise, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. Listen to this. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. What that means is, I don't know what to pray for or how to do it. All right? But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot even be uttered. What's he saying? Have you ever had one of those times with God that you are so down or you are so hurt or you are so burdened and sinful that you don't have words? That all you can do is agonize and groan? Holy Spirit says, don't worry about that. I can translate that. I can interpret that to the Father with absolute clarity. So you can't do this wrong. You can choose not to do it, but you can't do it wrong. Because even groanings or babblings, Holy Spirit is there to translate that into clear intercession before the throne of God. Don't, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. Here are your helpers. There's so much more we're going to talk about. We want to talk about, you know, praying in His name and praying in His authority and, 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 and fasting in prayer and, and, and on and on and on and on it goes. But this is a place to start. You've got to start somewhere. So we're going to start with the pattern of the temple and learn the five basic elements of what prayer is like. Praise, thanksgiving, confession, intercession, and petition. And I want to pray over you for that journey you're going to have this week. Holy Spirit, oh, this is so much fun. And we just can't get it wrong. Because it's just loving you and you loving us. And growing in that love relationship. Oh, Lord, I admire those people who can pray the big fancy King James prayers and, and you know, all the these and thous and the whitherwiths and hitherfores and all of that. I, I admire people who can do that. But, Lord, Sometimes my soul is just in agony before you. But that's okay. You totally understand that. Sometimes I've got to jibber-jabber like a child that don't know how to talk yet. But you understand that. That's interpreted by Holy Spirit to the throne of God with eloquence that I can't even imagine. And you do this, Lord, to where nothing will hold us back. Nothing will hinder us from just simply talking with you. Sharing the hurts and hang-ups, the hopes and dreams, the broken dreams and broken relationships. Sharing it all. Sharing my failures, maybe every now and then a success. We just get to be real with you. And we can because of your immense love. And that our identity is in you. And your love can't be taken away from us. And Lord, when we mess up and, and, and we strain the fellowship, even there, you're, you're in the process. You're already praying for us to, to make it right. So Lord, we just want to come and partner with you in this perpetual growth of what it means to be a Christ follower. And what a joy it is. Take us by the hand.
and lead us into the next steps. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you tonight. Love you so much.